In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Ben Breed, General Manager of Times Microwave Systems in Wallingford, Connecticut. Ben has been with Amphenol since 2013. We talk about his recent transition from fiber systems to TMS, the differences in the similarities, and his antsiness with not being able to visit all of the TMS facilities yet. We talk about him starting his career as an engineer, but realizing he wanted something broader, and finding the perfect fit at Amphenol. We talk about his passion for surfing and the struggle he has with finding tasty waves in Connecticut. And we talk about his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. So Ben, thank you for doing this today. Um, I know that in a new role, it can be uh, pretty busy, especially in the first few months. And you just transitioned to Times Microwave from uh, Fiber Systems back at the beginning of the year. Just in general, how has that switch been for you so far? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Well, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me, and um, it's a it's a privilege to get to be on here and, and chat a bit. I've I've enjoyed listening to this forum for some time now, so it's uh it's exciting to get to be a part of it. Good. Yeah, the transition is going really well. You know, I um like you said, started here at the at the beginning of this year. Although the former general manager Bill Callahan. Um, and I overlapped for about three months before that. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was really nice having, you know, um, to get to work alongside him and get to learn up the business a bit here. Um, but just, you know, long story short, it's any transition, it's about the team and Mm -hmm. the team here at times microwave has just been fantastic at training a new general manager and, um, putting up with all my questions when I inadvertently call this place FSI or inadvertently (laughs) talk about, fiber optics instead of, you know, TMS and, yeah. and coax cable. So um, it's going well. Yeah, that's true. You have a, a second straight division where it's it's three initials, and that's always what it gets referred to. You know, TMS, yeah. FSI, you know, ABC, CNN, KFC, you yeah. name it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. We, we actually, I mean, as you would know, in, in Amphenol, we have these monthly ops reviews, right? Yeah. And you just get so used to the, the way you, you know, you talk about the business and um, the last ops review that we had, Luke scheduled it, Luke's my, our senior general manager. Um, he, he scheduled it at 7am in the morning. I was still working my way through my coffee and, you know, I, I'd done really well to keep TMS on the forefront of my tongue, you know, and here we were yeah. like three months into the business and within the first five minutes, man, FSI came out like three times. Yeah. And, uh, he just wouldn't let me uh, live that one down. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I do the same thing with pets. Like if we've had a pet for <laughs> years and years and years, and then, you know, unfortunately it passes away and then you get another dog, for example, and you yeah, refer to it yeah. by the old name for probably a good six months <laughs> to a year. I do that all the time. They don't, they don't know, but I guess the kids might. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that is true. So you mentioned Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan was promoted uh, at the end of last year to replace right. Zach Reilly as a, as head of the RF um, group in Amphenol. He is still in the same building as you, though. Technically, I mean, he's yeah, he is right, right there yeah. with you. You know, I know Bill well as as do you. Um, is it comforting to have him in there, or do you try to, you know, not bug him too much as he's got the same thing where he's trying to learn a new role? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's actually both there, Chris, like, it, you know, I, Bill was very good from the very beginning to say, Hey, look, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to step out. It's, it's yours to run with. I'm here if you need me, but I don't want to step on any toes. And, um, you know, I, I'd get some advice from him and he'd say, Hey, I just, I don't want to be stepping on any toes. And it was always like, Bill, it's tremendously comforting to have, you know, the, the history that he has with this business. 
Um, and so I, I, I find it great to have him, you know, uh, right here in the same building and we can, you know, just, uh, I, I run into him in the parking lot or whatever. We can even just say hi, 30 minute or 30 second conversation about, you know, Hey, this is going on. How'd you handle this? It's, it's been really helpful. Um, yeah, so it's, it's good. And then like a lot of Amphenol divisions too, I know the times team has, the experience is just there's hundreds and hundreds of years worth of experience cumulative mm. uh, with the team there as you as you talked about um and i know bill was lucky enough to to tap into that as well once once he took over a few years ago how much has that helped you with with the team just being so experienced in all this stuff and helping you acclimate to new terminology new types of products so on and so forth oh, i mean it's it's been it's been indispensable it's just the, I think the depth of expertise within Amphenol, within Times, um, it's really second to none. And, and for me, like I, it, when, when people talk to me about, you know, hey, how's the transition going? What's, what's it like joining Times? You know, what, what's exciting to you? To me, there's, there's two real exciting pieces. The first is that depth of expertise in the team. Um, you know, we have, we have people um, that, have, that have been with us for longer than I've been alive. Um, and, you know, have lived and breathed our products, our industry. Right. Um, and so when you, when you, you know, put all that together and you talk about, you know, bringing that to the market, it's, it's really exciting. It's, it's for me, it's very humbling to get to be a part of that team. Um, so that, that's the first piece. And the second is the products, you know, I just loving getting into the products here and learning a new technology, um, or revisiting old technology, I guess, because I mm-hmm. kind of started my career working with some of this stuff, but um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's very exciting for me. I've been fortunate enough over the past year or two, uh, in doing this podcast to talk to a number of people from, from times microwave systems. Um, so I'm not going to ask you to repeat what, other, what others have said about the business and what it does and all that. I think we, we've <laughs> kind of good. covered that already. <laughs> That's good. Cause they probably know it better than I do anyways at this point. So <laughs> probably, so I won't put you on the spot and, and ask you about that. And I know that there are drastic differences between what FSI does and what Times does, but sure. what has been, what have you found has been the same between those two divisions? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I was kind of anticipating this question the other way around, Chris. I, I was I thinking figured. you were going to ask me, you know, what's different? Right. And and I was going to answer with, with uh, you know, what surprised me is how much it's the same. Ah, okay. um, so, so, yeah, you set me up perfectly here. Well, that was an um, easy question. That was going to be an obvious question. <laughs> so I had to go the other way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, let's start, you know, from, from the 30,000 foot, right? I mean, we're both in the military aerospace world, right? Um, we're both interconnect companies. Um, and as, as a result of that, you know, we talk to the same customers. And in a lot of cases, we actually are talking – about the same programs and mm-hmm. to some of the same engineers. Um, ultimately, you know, when engineers are looking at data, um, when they're looking at how they're going to process information from sensor suites, et cetera, um, it, that's going to happen over, you know, copper cable or fiber cable. And, and whether that's an RF link or a digital link, um, you know, that's, that's all a part of it, but it's, it's the same general principles here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some of the same customers, same, some of the same programs, um, so that's, that's certainly similar. And then, you know, I'd say, I'd say the way we go to market is very similar in that both of these companies, um, are looking to provide, uh, an end to end solution, uh, almost like a service to our customers, mm-hmm. right. In terms of our customers, our engineers typically, and, and we're getting in early 
to, um, to work with them on designs, to offer them things that, you know, maybe don't come in a catalog, right? right and they're right. looking for, yeah, for the next generation of networks or something, they're going to be doing, you know, X, Y, Z that hasn't been done before. And, and so they can't rely on something that exists out there. And right. Come to, you know, either FSI for, for fiber uh, solutions or to the times for coaxial solutions. And, um, and that's what, that, that's, what's really fun. Right. And I think both of those businesses, then as a result, the engineering around it, um, you know, the, the whole team, the way you rally around solving those problems is, is a very similar feel. You've had, you know, a few months now to get your feet wet with the, the Times business. What are you most excited about just in general terms over, say, the next three years as you, you know, you start to prepare for strategic planning here in a couple of months or, yeah, or maybe, yeah. maybe even already? But what are oh, you man, just in general at a high level? What are you most yeah, excited for for the business? Yeah, high high level is good because I, I think just you know specifically to the business, there's a ton of things I'm very excited sure. about. You know, our, our operational footprint, um, we're expanding globally. That's incredibly exciting. We're continuing to innovate new products. That's really exciting. Um, <laughs> but if we if we want to start not at the thirty thousand foot view, but like the outer space view, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh it. It's it's kind of the next generation networking that you see happening mm. in the in the commercial space right now, and this is the proverbial five G, you know, in, in quotation marks. You right. all use that buzzword here, um, but we see that happening in the commercial space, and we see the DoD here in the United States, and, and we see some of the defense primes around the world looking at how are they going to use what that technology enables in the military space, in, mm-hmm. in the aerospace um, arena. And it, it's um, what they're going to do with that technology, I think is going to be transformative for for our company um, here and, and for the industry in broader terms. So to me, that's that's very exciting. You know, we're talking about uh, a proliferation of sensors, of interconnect, of, of smart systems, um, more data, faster everywhere, right? Um, and, and Times is so well positioned to help our customers navigate really what's probably a generational um, revolution. here. Has there been anything yet that has occurred as far as an issue or a situation that you've had at Times where you directly drew from something that you did uh, and went through at FSI? Uh, probably daily. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in fact, I one of the things I think about is I try not to, t- when I'm talking with the with the team here at times, I try not to mention FSI too much, you know, because it's, it's just so interesting. I mean, the most yeah. common thing that comes to mind is, you know, uh, we've all been managing through the COVID pandemic here in the last, you know, little over a year now. Um, and a lot of the lessons that have come out of that in terms of how we do business in this new environment, you know, it, they translate very well across our businesses. We're both, you know, manufacturing operations in the defense space. Um, so that translates really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, product development, in terms of customer service, in terms of business development, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. And, um, you know, as, as we look to continue to grow um, Times Microwave and, and make sure that we remain relevant for our customers, so it's a lot of the same kind of foundational strategy that, you know, that we were, we were doing at Fiber Systems. You also took this division over at a very interesting time in, in our mm-hmm. history, uh, to be perfectly blunt. And you talked about having, you know, expanding the the uh, manufacturing footprint. And I know that you guys have locations in West Palm Beach, Florida, and Mesa, Arizona, and uh, uh, probably Nogales for all I know, but also India and China. How much have you been able to, have you even been able to visit them, number one? And number two, 
Has that, I know that it hasn't been nearly as much as you wanted to, if at all. How much is that really gnawing at you that you really want to get there and really get your hands dirty <laughs> with some of the other manufacturing locations? Yeah. So the la the answer to the last question first has been gnawing at me tremendously. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's definitely an interesting time to yeah. come into a business. And I mean, you know, thinking about it, you, uh, you don't get to see people's smiles, right? Yeah. You, you look at, unless you're on a, on a zoom call, you're looking at people behind a mask. You don't get to shake their hand. And that's such a weird, it's a weird thing to meet somebody for the first time and not get to shake their hand. Right. Right. Um, and, and like you mentioned, we do have, we do have international sites. Now we have, uh, we have manufacturing in, in Bangalore, India. We have a, a nice commercial business in, in Shanghai, China. And then we have a, a facility at a sister division in Ionix, Estonia. So those three international oh, sites yeah, I've yeah. not been to. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen the, the, I saw the walls for the, uh, for the, for the Times facility going up in February last year. It was my last international trip before uh, before COVID happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but I haven't, I haven't met the team in person yet. Um, we have a general manager in China that runs uh, times China. Um, we talk every week on, on, uh, on teams calls, but you know, I, we say all the time, you just can't wait to sit down and have a meal together. Right. Yeah. So that's been gnawing at me a lot. I have been fortunate. I got some, some, uh, special approval to cautiously travel to, to our uh, site in West Palm beach in the Mesa, Arizona. Yeah. Um, once each year in Q1 and you know, do the N95 mask and lots of testing and all that. Yeah. And that was, that was really good to get to meet the plant managers there meet their teams, see the facilities, both of which are, are really jewels of uh, operations. Um, but yeah, I, I can't wait to, you know, start to come out of this as the vaccine rolls out and yeah. start to travel a bit more and, and meet the teams. I, I have no doubt. I could imagine too, if I were in your situation or you just kind of like, you're so antsy right. and you're like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, technically I'm supposed to be running these places and I can't even get there. This is infuriating, but yeah. Chom chomping at the bit. For yeah, sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so we'll, we'll back away from the, the current events here and the business at times uh, and learn a little bit more about Ben and talk about okay. you know, how you came into being the general manager of TMS here just recently. So if we go back to you grew up, I, if I remember correctly, and I didn't really look, but I think it was you grew up in California. Is that right? Yeah, mo mostly in Southern California. Yeah, San Diego, Where? Yeah. San Diego. Okay. San Diego, yeah. Yes. Uh, familiar with it, having lived there myself. So. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, Navy. You were boy. you were in the Navy yes. out there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I uh, I enjoy that place immensely still to this day. Beautiful where, place. Yeah. Where did you go to? Did you go to college there too? I did. Yeah, UC San Diego. Okay. Um, so yeah. it was uh, it was where I went to university, and then um, you know coming out of UC San Diego, as you would know, having spent time in the military there, and I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree. There were there's kind of two big industries in in San Diego area, yeah. and I wasn't particularly looking for any reason to leave. I, I loved it there. Um, and those two industries were, were biotech and defense. And yeah. I, I did my internship with a, with a company that was a defense contractor there in San Diego and kind of just rolled into that right out of school. And what did you do once you started? And you were mechanical engineer, so were you Mechan in engineering? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Mechanical engineer. So I, I started off doing a little bit of design work. Um, and then we were, we were fortunate enough to be doing some, um, equipment on the F-35, which was, was a massive program at, at the time that I was graduating. And so very quickly got pulled into um, system level testing because the systems that we were building at, at my former employer were getting ready to fly on the jet for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I got involved with, with what they call safety of flight qualification, which basically means, hey, you know, 
can they fly your stuff and make sure it's going to be okay for the pilot? Yeah. Um, and that was a tremendous experience kind of backing out of the design world a bit and yeah. getting to look at how is the end user going to be using our stuff. And we were doing the, the um, what they call the CNI. So we we're doing all the pilot's communications, um, his or her data links, and their navigation stuff, which was, was very cool to be involved in. From a general perspective, what did you learn from that then when you go from the, I'll just call it the drafting table or the CAD software mm-hmm. to actually putting your, your hands on this equipment? What was it that, was there anything that clicked at you like, oh, I really have to pay attention to this or be conscious of that when it comes to doing this work when I go back to, you know, normal work? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, and, and to be fair, Chris, I, I didn't spend as much time in the design world as I, as I probably, looking back, would have liked to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I have a few lessons that stick out in my mind. Is, and one is that, you know, there's a difference between a design and an elegant design. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, at one point in time, I, I, and this wasn't all that, you know, all that um, fancy, but I had to design this, like, test fixture to do some thermal testing on, on some of our circuit cards. And so I probably spent, you know, two, three weeks designing up this brilliant fixture and all that. I was, and, and when it was all said and done, the thermal mass of this fixture, which is basically, you know, the, the mass that it has, you got to heat up in the oven. Mm-hmm. It was going to take us like days to get the, the, the thermal cycle profile we needed, you know? So what did we do? We just, we took a two by four and we put, cut slots in it. And we, we put the boards in it and, yeah. and thermal cycled the boards, you know? It was, it was a, it was a good lesson for me to say, you know, definitely when you're thinking about design, you know, ele- elegant design is, um, that's where the real art, I think, and uh, anyone can design something, but to make it efficient, to make it um, as simple as it needs to be and still, you know, fit the function, that's the real key. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think that's the the eternal struggle that probably a lot of engineers face, right? Especially when it comes to something like Amphenol, which, uh, you know, interconnect products, especially in the military and aerospace side, like, like you and I are a part of, um, at least directly, you know, it's, it's, no one's looking for something super fancy and shiny and beautiful looking. Right. It's, it's yeah. functional. It's purely functional. Yep. And, Absolutely. you know, can you get us something that's going to withstand a heck of a lot of punishment? Um, we could made it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not going to be environmentally destructive and it mm-hmm. just works period. I don't need to right. rely on it. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be a good lesson to learn. But again, yeah. I know, you know, and myself too, from a creative standpoint, there's a difference between writing the perfect essay or the perfect paper versus mm-hmm. writing what just needs to be done to satisfy the task. <laughs> yeah, you know? Absolutely. You know, something absolutely. like that. Yeah. So when did you first become aware of connectors and was it while you were working <laughs> with this company? It, yeah, it, it absolutely was. In fact, I, I owe, you know, my, my opportunity here at Amphenol to the fact, um, actually to, to the division that, you know, well, Amphenol Aerospace. Um, because we were using a ton of 38999 connectors on our products. Mm. We're basically building a lot of like software-defined radios and LRUs, line-replaceable units, which, you know, have to have interconnects with the outside world. Um, and so, you know, I, I uh, was well aware of, of these connectors. They were, uh, and I'm not, I'm not doing a marketing pitch here, but they were, <laughs> I just knew they worked. They were very yeah. robust. We didn't have any difficulties with them. And, and actually, um, it was also during that time that I started to work with Times Cable um, in that, in that role. Um, and you know, the, the people that I met at times were just incredibly responsive. I, I remember that about the times folks and, and like partners in terms of what we were trying to do, right. It was not just like a supplier relationship. It was like, 
you know, we, we would solve problems together, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when I, you know, fast forward, I kind of three, four years, I guess, and, and was coming out of business school and I saw that Amphenol was coming, you know, to our, our campus to recruit. And so I remember sitting in, in like our cafeteria, you know, this very informal job interview, um, with, uh, with the gentleman that was doing MBA recruiting at the time. And, and he goes, so what, you know, what do you know about, about Amphenol? And I go, well, you guys, you know, you make 38 triple nine connectors. And I think <laughs> that was like, that just helped the interview process tremendously. Like I, I you know, it was, it was, it was a, a match from there on out. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that was my first experience with it. Yeah. Because probably nine out of 10 people that uh, they asked, they probably, I don't know, it's pharmaceutical company. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I still have to explain that difference to my friends. No, we're not, <laughs> we're not a drug company. <laughs> so you had a, a little bit of knowledge about the company. Um, you took an internship then, is that what you did or were you hired, um, by corporate? Yeah, actually, I mean, I, I went through a really, um, a, a very fast paced MBA program where, where it was actually full time. So I had to, had to leave my job at, oh, okay. at the engineering company I was working with. And so it was very much a kind of, you know, launching off the deep end feel a bit. Um, I, to, to be, to be completely honest with you, I didn't know what I wanted to do after business school, but I, I, I figured out when I got into business school that a lot of my colleagues were in the same position. They just wanted to change. And, and for me, I wanted, I wanted to get into something that was, um, maybe a bit, a, a bit broader in scope. Um, okay. and, and then, you know, we use this word all the time and I, I think it's important when we think about, you know, the careers we have, et cetera, but I want to, it, it sounds trite, but I want something with impact, right. And, mm-hmm. and something where I knew I had, I could own something. It's not to say that, that I, you know, didn't get that in my prior jobs, but when I, you know, I remember reading through the annual report of Amphenol and like reading our, our CEO Adam's letter that he wrote, you know, to open the annual report. And it was like, wow, the culture of this company is, is really unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my, my father's actually a finance guy. And so he, of course, digs into the financials when I'm applying <laughs> to all these schools out of, out of my MBA program. And he goes, yeah, you know, Amphenol looks like a very strong company. You know, this is a company that's, that um, seems to be very well positioned. Um, and so, yeah, so I went, went for the interview out of business school and I actually hired directly into a division, okay. um, directly into division. So I didn't spend any time at corporate. I hired into, um, a division out in California called Amphenol Nelson Dunn Technologies that mm-hmm. was, um, focused mostly on oil and gas product. Yeah. Um, and that was a, that was an interesting experience for me, a new industry, new company, new products. Uh, it was, uh, I learned a lot in that time. And what did you do there? Yeah. So I started as a product development manager, <clears throat> excuse me, or a product manager. And to be honest with you, I had to Google what that was like, mm-hmm. you know, on day one, I had been, I was told that I was going to be a marketing manager. And I was like, you understand, I don't have any marketing background. They're like, yeah, don't worry about the title. We'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out when you get here. You know, yeah. you're just going to be involved in growing the business. So I was like, yeah. okay, you know, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what this is like. You know, this is a, this is an engineer, you know, coming into something where I'm like, I'm used to, you know, like, um, you know, Define requirements, yes, yes, you know, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's, it's black so, and white yeah, and exactly. know, very little gray. Yeah, yeah. So basically, that that role, you know, as I as I come to came to find out, was you know very. It's a very cool role. It's it's all encompassing. It's you know it's kind of soup to nuts, owning um, a, a product and its mm-hmm. life cycle, right? Um, and we were we were obviously there's there's a software version of that, but we were building you know hardware or, or cable assemblies. Um, and so I got, I got very involved in, in design work. Um, I got very involved in how it's made, um, and then how we market it and how we, how we sold it. 
And, um, and then that kind of transitioned a little bit into a business development role because um, at that point in time, I joined in 2013, we were an oil and gas company. Oil was 120 something a barrel. Mm -hmm. And then the crash happened um, and oil went to, you know, $15 a barrel. And that really changed our market dynamics. Um, And so I I spent some time, I'd say closely mentored by our our senior vice president, Martin Booker of the Mm -hmm. industrial group. Um, And he he gave me this assignment. Uh, You know, we were really struggling to find new customers. And he said, I want to see a report every Friday of five new customers you visited somewhere in the world. Don't care where they were. <laughs> just go talk to five new people a week and just see what you can find out. Yeah. Right. And sounds very Martin Booker like, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was not easy. It was, yeah. it was freaky as all get out. I'll be honest with you. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're sending a senior VP a report every Friday. Um, but, but it really taught me kind of this fundamental business development mindset, which is just, you know, your ideas, your, your innovation, especially in our industry, it comes from listening to the customers. It comes to being with the customers and it comes back to that solving the, solving the problems thing. Right. Um, so that was, that was really fun. So I did that business development role then after the rest of my time here at at Nelson. How did the FSI opportunity then come about? Yeah. It's uh, so basically what happened was, um, you know, there was a, a gentleman, gentleman who'd been running FSI for, actually since before they were acquired by Amphenol mm-hmm. um, and he was looking to retire and this uh, business was in Luke Walter's group. So a, 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 a different senior vice president. And I guess he and Martin, you know, got together and there was an opportunity and um, they gave me this opportunity to come out and, and meet the general manager there. Um, talk to him a little bit about his business. I got a chance to meet Ryan Fisher um, yeah. flew into Sydney, New York and, and we had dinner together and we talked a bit about the opportunity um, and, and then meet Luke Walter for the first time. And, um, you know, I was, I was just incredibly excited to get to, you know, get to, to be a part of something like that. I, I went back and actually maybe a year or two into that, it, once I took on the role as general manager, read my business school essay. And I, I told you earlier, you know, that I didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of business school. Sure. And when I, when I read that essay, even though I had no idea what the title would look like, what the role would look like, what the company would look like, mm-hmm. what I was looking for pre-business school was really a general manager position at all say at, at, at an Amphenol company, right? right. I mean, uh, um, it was, it, it was exactly what I was looking for. And so, you know, when I, when I got a chance to speak with Ryan and Luke and, and learn a bit about the fiber systems business, um, it just, uh, I was very excited. It seemed like a, a perfect place to continue to grow and, and learn. And yeah, and I remember that. I remember when you you came on yeah. board, and and uh, I think I came out there soon after that. And so, that's what right. did yeah. you it's the first time we met? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, how quickly did you get comfortable there? Um, not only with what they were actually doing, but just the role itself in leading that mm-hmm. division. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, that one I had a nice long overlap without going general manager. So I okay. we actually had about six months where I was deputy general manager and just starting to learn kind of the day-to-day, um, learning about the team. I mean, it, it always comes down to the team, right? And and um, learning how the team was working, where we had opportunities to grow the team. Um, but, you know, I'll say there was, there was definitely a bit of, um, I was listening to podcasts the other day, like this, this concept of like, a little bit of self-skepticism, right? Mm-hmm. I had a lot of that, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah. a lot of like, you know, I, this is, wow, I don't, I don't know if I can, if I can do this, but um, self-doubt, I guess you could say, but I think it was a healthy amount that, mm-hmm. that hopefully, you know, kept me humble and, and allowed me to step into the role. And, 
you know, I, I looked at it uh, like I like I do this role. It's a it's a partnership with the with the team to go, you know, really try to unleash the the best parts of the company and, and maximize the company. And fortunately, FSI had a had a great team in place, and as as does Times here. And so that becomes really fun, right? I mean, you learn from your colleagues, um, and the you know that's that's kind of how you learn the role. So you go from California to Texas to now Connecticut, if you keep going east, you're going to, you know, you'll be in Europe here probably within the next five years or so. Uh, have yeah. you enjoyed the moving around though? I, I yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, um, the, the piece I left out there when I, when I went to business school was overseas and was intentionally to get some geographic diversification yeah. to, to, to myself. Yeah. Um, and I, I traveled extensively. I love traveling just even personally for, for fun. Um, prior to business school, it was my first chance to kind of live abroad. And then with Amphenol, you know, it's getting to be in a global company and visit sites all over the world, customers yeah. all over the world, and and now get to be in, you know, three different locations um, around the world. It's uh, It's been great. Um, moving back to East Coast is the first time I've lived on the East Coast. So this is exciting for me. There's all kinds of new places to explore. Yeah. Um, my wife, actually, we, we met um, when I was still living in Texas. She was living in New York City. Oh, okay. Um, so now we're living about an hour outside New York city and she couldn't be happier. So for, <laughs> from that standpoint, this is a great move for her as well. You're now in the East coast, um, preparing for your next move back to Europe, probably at some point, maybe in a few years. I'm kidding. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you're probably good there for now. <laughs> but, well, well so, the good news is the, you know, the, the further East I've moved, the further I moved from the, uh, one of my passions is surfing. So the further I've gotten from the California coast where there are actually waves. Yeah. If I move even further east, I end up on the west coast of France, which is, again, world-class waves. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Well, it's a good segue because I was going to ask you, like, when you're not now general manager at times, what do you like to do with you and your wife just on your off time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we both really love the outdoors. Yeah. And that's why coming to the East Coast here has, has been great, um, getting a chance to hike. Um I love, uh, I love surfing. So, you know, any chance I can get in the water, it's a little hard to find surf on the, on the Long Island sound here, but if you yeah. go a little bit, uh, east here, there's Rhode Island and there's some, there's some waves there. So yeah, we're, we're enjoying being, a, you know, we're pretty close to the sound. And so being back where you can walk on a beach, that's, uh, that's exciting. Yeah. It's, albeit a different beach, probably a lot rockier. It's a different than beach. It's a California. different beach. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, water's when, a little bit I, colder. I, yeah. Yeah, when I was when I when I first met the Times team, I was still in Dallas and we did one of these teams, you know, meetings. And I, I made the comment, I'm looking forward to being back where where's the beach and and somebody goes, Well, you gotta use that term loosely here in Connecticut. They said, you know, actually during during COVID, like the Connecticut governor released something that said, Hey, you know, no we don't we're, we don't want people coming, you know, from out of state to our beaches and, and apparently this was a big joke because it was like Nobody goes to Connecticut beaches, you know. Like, it's like that, you know, that was something that didn't need to be said. But uh, but I tell you what, the the um, the beaches in in Connecticut are better than the beaches in Dallas. So uh, good point. So yeah, yeah, good point. I haven't heard good things about those Dallas beaches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we'll wrap up this conversation, Ben. Uh, get to we're going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, we'll All put right. you in a place where. Uh, we'll, we'll say this desert island has really nice surf. So you have a surfboard, but I'll also okay. allow you by yourself. Uh, if you're by yourself, you have you can bring one album, one book, and one movie. We'll start with mm. an album. What album would you bring with okay. you? 
Okay. Well, I'm glad you qualified that I get to bring a surfboard because I was like, I'll trade it. I'll trade it all for the surfboard. <laughs> um, album. Yeah, good one. I, I mean, I, I love a ton of music. Actually, I, I got a music minor in, in college. Just It's more oh. like one of these music appreciation type things, you know, yeah. so I took all the easy classes. But um, so I, I love a whole, and I know that sounds trite, but I love a whole lot of different types of music. I'd have to go with, um, there's a band called The Raconteurs. I don't know yep. if you've ever heard of them. Yep. Yeah, Jack White. The front man's Jack White. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so I, I just love the work that they did together. I see it as it's kind of like an extension of the sort of the Americana blues rock tradition. And, yeah. You know, started back in the days of the blues. Um, so I have this album called Consolers of the Lonely, which mm-hmm. I think is just a, an amazing album. So I, I picked that one. All right. No, I'm, I'm down with that. How about a book? All right. Yeah. Book. You know, I, <laughs> I should probably pick something like, um, what is it though? The worst case scenario survival handbook or something yeah, like that. Or uh, survival for dummies or something. Yeah. 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 I should probably pick something. Like, I mean, I just, it, this is maybe a bit personal here, but I, I'd probably go with the Bible. It's it help keep me grounded. Sure. Um, you know, keep, keep the hope up there while on that desert island. So, yeah. Understood. And how about movie? Movie, man. Um, yeah, so I guess this is when the surf's not firing, right? And I got to keep myself, I got to keep myself right. uh, otherwise occupied. So, uh, so there's, there's a ton of good movies. I think, I think the one I go back to the most is actually a documentary. It's called Stepping into Liquid, and it's, it's about surfing. And sorry to talk about that so much, but you can, you can tell it's a passion of mine. Well, and uh, <laughs> it, it was probably yeah, going to be either that or Endless Summer, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is also, which is also a great one, but no, stepping into liquid is it's a, like a more modern take on that same vein, you know, yeah. the same sort of surf documentary. Um, and it's, it's about all over the world, just surfing cultures has developed from Vietnam to the great lakes of Wisconsin. Um, it's, it's, it's a good, it's really well done. Yeah. Have you, and, and all right, so this will be the last question then. Have you had a chance to, or has anyone had a chance yet to try those, those crazy new wave pool things? Like the Kelly Slater things I, I saw, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? I mean, I, yeah, yeah, YouTube all the time, right? I mean, if I, maybe I, maybe I should take YouTube instead of the video instead of the movie. <laughs> um, those are crazy. It's, yeah. it's really amazing what they're doing with, you know, like Kelly Slater's is basically like this train track that pulls this thing across the bottom and yeah. creates this wave. They had this pool in, in Waco, Texas, actually, that was done with, as far as I can understand, like jets of air and stuff, and they can basically tune the wave. Um I have not. I have not yeah. tried this, um, and and I should. Yeah, something to think about. <laughs> well, we should look to see if we can somehow cut a deal with someone and get them a discount on connectors and put one near Wallingford. There you go. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're always working on next generation technology, maybe some submersible, you know, coax cable or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Ben, listen, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, you know, as you're still getting acclimated, but thriving at times microwave systems i really appreciate it and it was good talking to you this has been been really fun chris thanks a lot and look forward to talking to you